Hello and welcome to the Short Side Option. It's me, Chris Sork, with uh, DLU here as we are reviewing the K-State uh, Mississippi State game. Uh, the Wildcats lost 31 to 10 to Mississippi State last Saturday, and they'll welcome in the UTSA Roadrunners into Manhattan, uh, who are 0-2 uh, as K-State is 1-1. As this is the last non-conference game as we start the regular season with a game against West Virginia on the road in Morgantown the week to follow. Dilu, how are we doing today? Chris, I'm great. It's great to be back with uh, the Icon. Uh, rough go at it last uh, last Saturday against Mississippi State, but I think we're going to uh, hopefully rebound this week and uh, try to get this ship righted. You know, it was a competitive game uh, really throughout the first half, but especially the first quarter, K-State really went toe-to-toe. It was a, a 3-3 game after the end of the first quarter. Uh, but after that, it was really all Mississippi State as they really controlled the game. And, and K-State, uh, you know, just couldn't find enough offense really on this day to beat Mississippi State. Couldn't find enough offense. Couldn't really find it, any offense uh, until uh, deep into the third quarter. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, competitive until just about the end of the first half when Mississippi State got that second score. And then after that, going into halftime, I think I certainly, and I think a lot of K-State fans thought, okay, we've seen this movie before, we've read this book, we know it's coming. And sure enough, uh, Mississippi State ran away with things. And, you know, it it didn't get extremely ugly. I mean, this wasn't, you know, a 50-point loss, but it was certainly a blowout and one that uh, wasn't really competitive at any point in the second half. You know, and you say Mississippi State ran away with it. Uh, Kylan Hill uh, did most of the damage on the ground, running for over 200 yards on 16 carries. Uh, The defense really did not do much to slow him down, obviously, uh, as well as with Nick Fitzgerald running the ball well. K-State really gave up a lot of their damage on the ground, uh, which is usually a pretty solid aspect of our defense. Yeah, I mean, if if you would have told me that Fitzgerald's numbers, I mean – if you listen last week, I was terrified of, of what he was going to be able to do to us. But that was really predicated on him being capable uh, in the passing game. And if you would have told me that he'd go 11 of 27 for 150 yards, I would have said, well, I really like K-State's chances on Saturday. But um, I wasn't expecting him to add another 160 on the ground, and I certainly wasn't expecting Hill to put up over 200, and so that spoiled uh, my my impression of how the game would go, but uh, I wasn't incredibly impressed with Fitzgerald, um, but the Mississippi State running game just was overwhelming, and we couldn't adjust to it. You know, the, it, it really was. Uh, Kylan Hill, uh, I, I misspoke, 17 carries for 211 yards, uh, doesn't really do much for that yards per carry from 16. Uh, he still averaged over 12 yards a carry against the K-State defense. That's usually pretty solid against the run. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, 160 yards rushing, uh, 8.4 uh, a carry. Really, 7-8 and eight were the guys that, uh, the, that beat us uh, pretty much all day. Like you said, Nick Fitzgerald really, di- really didn't scare me much uh, throwing the ball going in that game. Didn't really do a whole lot throwing the ball. He did have two touchdowns, but uh, nothing too 
absurd in terms of throwing the ball down the field. I thought K-State maybe should have done a little bit more uh, in terms of loading up the box and and uh, pressing the wide receivers to, to try to slow down that Mississippi State offensive running attack. Yeah, it seemed like every time K-State uh, was in a position where it was let me rephrase. It seemed like every time Mississippi State ran the ball, they were going right at us through either the quarterback draw or uh, give to Hill. And they'd get past our defensive line, and our linebackers would just be MIA. Mm-hmm. Um, when we looked at the film and what was actually going on, our linebackers were just instantly dropping back into coverage. And maybe that contributed to Fitzgerald's Four day through the air, um, but it certainly didn't shut off the leaky faucet uh, in the running game. And our second level has to be more reactive. And our first level, our defensive line, was just getting shoved around and manhandled by what appear to be physically more impressive, uh, physically more impressive unit with the Mississippi State offensive line. And Mississippi State's offensive line is is one of their their strengths on their offensive side of the ball. They do return uh, quite a few starters. I believe they returned four of their five starters from their offensive line um, from last season. But definitely a strong unit, and they had they had no trouble uh, moving around K State's defensive line and getting to that second level to spring big runs. Uh, well, you know, as we're kind of talking here about this. Uh, Let's let's go ahead and start, uh, you know, going to a little bit of a deeper dive with what went wrong for K State. Let's let's first start with the offensive side of the ball. First half, thought K State did some things, uh, especially in the first quarter, uh, answering Mississippi State's opening possession, uh, getting down or Mississippi State's opening score, I should say, uh, after you know forcing a three and out on the first possession. But after Mississippi State got on the board, uh, getting right back down there, uh, nearly turning the ball over on a, on a play that. Uh, personally, I was uh, thinking that he did fumble, but after the review, uh, deemed that the ball was going forward and and uh, allowed us to settle for a Blake Lynch field goal. Uh, but talk about what you saw. You know what was wrong with the offense uh, against Mississippi State. Well, it would be easier to say to get into what went right with the offense. I was gonna um, I was gonna save that to, to end this <laughs> end this uh, segment on a, on a little bit of a high note. Do you have five seconds? Um, no. What went wrong with the offense is. Pretty much a carbon copy of what went wrong with the offense in uh, against South Dakota, which is to say, damn near everything went wrong with the offense. People, I, I've I've read the reviews on the offensive line, and people tend to think that our offensive line was better at, against Mississippi State, and maybe if you take into account the competition, it was, but they still gave up four sacks, they still gave up eight tackles for a loss. Our running game was pre- pretty bad. I mean, Barnes scraped together 75 yards on 17 carries, which is okay, but it's it's not enough to do the heavy lifting for the offense. Uh, Delton was bad again. Um, he had a couple nice... I mean, before his interception, which has to be said, was one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen there wasn't a I I watched the film and I still can't figure out what he saw there uh but before that I mean he was had some nice runs and uh but there's really not 
an identity we can hang our hat on offensively again. And we, we all expected it to be the running game. It just hasn't been that through two games. And so we look to, well, maybe Thompson can get something together. But he wasn't very good either. I mean, he went 7 of 17 for 86 yards. Um, some of that's on the wide receivers not being able to, to get open. Some of it's on the offensive line and the pressure created by Mississippi State. But also some of it's on Skylar Thompson too. Um, and so if my point is, is that if our running game is going to continue to not be average or certainly not good or great, then Thompson needs to step up and be the guy. But, but right now, there's just – I have no idea how our offense is going to be effective or what our plan is because we're devoting almost 60% of our plays to the running game, which I think we probably should be doing, but those aren't working. And we can't take advantage of defenses that are uh, devoting themselves to stopping our run game if we're going 7 of 17 through the air. So I just don't – at this point, I don't know – what our offense is going to do moving forward. I think that's, you know, well said. I think the offensive line has to be has to be there for us to establish any sort of identity. Yeah, I think if, that's where it starts. And I think and that's the unit that, you know, most folks had the highest hopes for. Uh, arguably, uh, guys that are, you know, three guys on the first team, all Big 12, you could, you could argue, had, had chance to be there with, with France, uh, Holtorf, and Risner, and, and, and those three guys have not really played all that well individually, and the unit certainly hasn't played well as a whole. Uh, I want to back up real quick. Uh, you mentioned Alex Delton. It's a guy that both you and I had pretty high hopes for uh, going into the season. We thought he would be the starting quarterback, and and certainly he has not been uh, to this point. And with his play, tough to envision him overtaking anyone right now uh, that, that would be the starting quarterback. I do want to, you know, circle back to him though, real quick. Is there some sort of role for him on this team, or at this point, do you? Th- I've heard, you know, some folks say, "Well, we need to have a, a package for him as a running quarterback," uh, but but you know, Skylar Thompson needs to be the quarterback for ninety percent of the downs. Do you think that that there's any benefit in that, or do you think he at this point he's not really playable? Well, assuming that the offensive line improves, which I expect them to, they, they simply cannot be this bad all season, I, I do think that there's a role for him. I, I do think that there's some merit in giving him two series a game, pretty much how we used him on Saturday. Aside from he just can't be throwing the ball as much as we gave him. And the thing that really frustrates me is... He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, no one's going to confuse him for being some great passer. No one's going to confuse him for, you know, going out there and torching a team for 250 yards to the air. However, he's showed to me that he was plenty capable last year to do some things in the passing game. And quite frankly, that hasn't been there this season. No, it hasn't. And after two games, it appears to me that not only has... Neither quarterback gotten better over the offseason. But it appears to me that they both have gotten worse, especially Delton. You cannot say to me that Delton 
was this bad last year. And maybe that's a product of, maybe that's due in part to the wide receivers aren't getting open, but his decision-making is mind-boggling. The, the throw on Saturday, his bad interception, was just such a bad decision or such a bad throw that he doesn't make that throw last year. That ball does not get intercepted a year ago. Sure, sure, and I I actually grabbed the screen caps of it uh, from from the from the broadcast, and he's got two guys that are open in in the screen grab. He's got tight end that looks like he's hooking down on, on a little curl route, and he has uh, Barnes out to the flat. I I think he was actually trying to throw it to Zach Reuter, who was a little bit out of the picture. You could you could kind of see him as he was coming back into the picture, but. A completely ill-advised throw, especially with that time and situation in the game, as K-State's really needing to to answer after after a, a Mississippi State score. Certainly a puzzling uh, a puzzling decision, to say the least. Yeah, it was just I I have no clue what I suppose at this point you you got to go with Thompson because I wouldn't call him the hot hand. But he, you it's just, the hotter hand. It's the lukewarmer it's, hand. It's the the hand that's closer to lukewarm. It's the clo- it's the hand closer to body temperature at this point. Yeah, okay. yeah, and uh, so you you got to go with Thompson, but there's neither guy has had a spark, and yeah. it's this is about as bummed as I've been on the offense. Well, I guess I was pretty bummed at after Vanderbilt last year. But Yeah, that was that was pretty ugly. But we're going back to like the 0405 years. And that's going to lead us into something I want to talk about a little bit later, but uh, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up here on the offense. I just want to ask one final question to you. Do you feel at this point it's almost a no-brainer that K-State really needs to pick one quarterback, stay with them? And throw their throw their support, throw all the you know first team reps in practice behind a certain player, whether it's Skylar Thompson or Alex Dalton. I think you and me both agree it should be Skylar Thompson, and and let that individual go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the tryout phase of the season has been wrapped up at this point in terms of who who we want to build our offense around this year, and really through next year too. And I think that that guy has to be Skylar Thompson. Uh, I think K-State needs to give him the reps in practice. I think he needs to be getting the reps during the game. Uh, in short, I just think K-State needs to put all their chips, all their offensive identity behind, uh, at least at the quarterback position, Skylar Thompson. That's not to say I don't think that uh, Barnes and Warmack and Sillman and even Delton should play significant roles moving forward. I mean, I think that there is a spot for Delton to come in and get a, a series or two, but run his series almost as if they're Wildcats. And it, if there is an availability, if they're cheating too much, then yeah, maybe run a play action and go over the top. But his he cannot be treated like a regular quarterback where he's getting four passes in, in two series like he got on Saturday because he's proven that he just, for whatever reason, whether he's gotten worse or, or whatever the deal is, he just cannot handle that responsibility. 
Yeah, I think that pretty well wraps up for the offense. Uh, it's definitely been a unit through two games where it's it's difficult to say much good about. But we're going to try to do that here a little bit. Uh, we're going to try to, you know, shed some light on that, uh, shed some positive light, I guess I should say. Uh, let's let's transition to the defense here. Obviously, you know, getting torched on the ground. What uh, what did you see were the major points of struggle for the defense uh, last Saturday? Well, obviously the running game, and specifically our inability to be in the right position and our inability to finish plays and tackle guys. I mean, how many times did you see Hill just bulldoze guys in our secondary and? just run right past our defensive linemen and linebackers who were either completely out of position or getting blocked, uh, just pancaked. I mean, it was very nearly every rushing attempt they had seemed to, they seemed to be able to do pretty much whatever they wanted uh, to our front seven. And then when they got to the second layer, I Goolsby on one of those plays, uh, one of their touchdown runs, uh, I forget which quarter it was, but they were running to the south end zone. He just bounced off him. And it's just poor tackling and being in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And so uh, I think part of that's on the players, but I really wish we would have devoted more attention to their running game earlier on and adjusted and said, okay, this is what's killing us. Let's, Let's stuff the box Make them beat us there, and if they have to, if they have to go over the top, then that's a problem we'll deal with. But but I was frustrated that we didn't adjust to to account for their running game more. You know, one thing that I also thought in into the same vein as being out of being out of angles, being out of pursuit. I thought the the angles that some of our players were taking, especially our secondary players, on I know Kendall Adams took a took a terrible angle on that initial scoring drive that uh, the Mississippi State had uh, going down to the north end zone where they ended up settling for three points. But, you know, just if you're not going to take the right angle, it's going to be tough to take to get anyone down anyway. Well, you don't want to take a right angle. You don't want to take a right angle. You want to take the, the, the correct angle. <laughs> yeah. uh, to, uh, I think that'd be fun if, if all defensive players had to take right angles to – to go after ball carriers. It would be, you'd have to, that would be very difficult to do. Penalize players that aren't, that aren't taking 90-degree angles. Not not the proper, but the, but a right angle for, for those that are uh, so inclined geometry-wise. Uh, but I thought the defense really just did not play well, especially uh, in terms of tackling. Uh, obviously, when you see giving up 300-some yards of, of rushing, tough to draw too many positives out of that. One thing I did want to touch on too, especially regarding the defense, and this is a you know something we've heard a lot from K State fans uh, in the uh, in the aftermath of the Mississippi State game, but was the severe lack of talent uh, that we've been that we've been faced that we were dealt with in that game, uh, seeming like we're playing guys that are you know, too slow, not physical enough. What did you glean from that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was clear that one team was far better than the other on Saturday, and that's something that has been a complaint for a number of years from K State fans. That several times a season, uh, you see us just 
completely outmatched in a game where it's clear that it's men against boys out there. And that was the case on Saturday for both units, really. The, the, only, the, the only position group that I thought played okay uh, was the secondary, mm-hmm. um, just because of Fitzgerald's numbers. But even in the rushing game, they were faulty. And sure. Like we touched on earlier with the tackling. Um, but no, I thought that there was a very obvious gap in talent. Yeah, I don't think anyone that could watch that game on Saturday could come away with much of a different perspective on that. Mississippi State has, you know, big old guys. I hate to use the term SEC talent because I think that's a little bit uh, – I think that caters too much to – that there's good players all throughout the country. There's good players in the Big 12. There's good players in the ACC. But they've got a, a different breed of physicality than what we are than what we have on our roster at this point. It was not a good matchup for K-State in terms of stopping the run and also in terms of being able to run the ball on offense. Um, so that that really, I think, the gap, the gap of talent between K-State and Mississippi State really can explain a lot for what happened on Saturday. Yeah, and I... And part of me hopes that it, it it's an SEC thing because otherwise we're going to be running into some pretty effective offenses in the Big 12 too and and I'll it'll be cons- even worse if it's just if Saturday was wasn't a product of K-State was facing an SEC team rather than K-State was facing just a quality team sure. because K-State's going to run into some pretty effective offenses the rest of the season too. Now luckily those offenses aren't as predicated on running the ball sure. as Mississippi State is. But in terms of just looking slow on Saturday, we're going to see a lot of fast offenses the rest of the season. I didn't think – I mean, I don't think K-State looked as especially like the faster team by any stretch, but I was more struck by the, the size, the physicality uh, difference between both teams. Right, yeah, that's true, especially along in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, especially along the defensive line is where I is where I took the biggest yeah took the biggest uh, stake at that because Jordan Mitty, Joe Davies, Trey Deshaun, pretty well rendered obsolete really. They don't by by what Mississippi State was doing offensively. They were they were completely out of the picture on, on many of those plays. Yeah, they're just getting ragdolled, mm-hmm. and they just don't look like Power Five. Defensive linemen, at least they didn't on Saturday. Um, but you know, I'll feel a lot better about our line play if we can establish dominance this coming Saturday. But after two games, we've seen two different opponents. One where we kind of expected that we'd get outmatched, at least on the on our defensive line um, in Mississippi State, and that was clear. We were. And the other against South Dakota, we didn't impose our will on them either. And so after two games, it's we just look bad yeah. in the trenches. Yeah, lots of question marks on, on both sides of the of the offense and defensive line uh, for K State through two games. Uh, let's talk about what kind of positives you could take away from the Mississippi State game. Uh, this might be a bit of a tougher question than uh, than what went wrong. But uh, one thing I did, uh, one thing I did think was Alex Barnes ran hard, uh, had a couple nice runs. Didn't fumble. Didn't fumble. Uh, was was not giving the ball away, which is which is always good. 
uh, from your running back. But I thought he had some nice runs. I thought he was the one guy uh, for us offensively that really did flash at times. He had a couple nice physical runs to start the third quarter, uh, as well as having uh, a couple nice runs uh, at, at the start of the first quarter as well. But you know, when, when you get down by two, three scores, uh, the running game kind of goes away a little bit as you're trying to ke- play catch up and trying to get some points on the board. So I thought Alex Barnes played really well. I expect to see him uh, really have a nice game this Saturday. And I expect him to be in a thousand yard back for us this year. Still. Yeah, I still do. I think we still have pace for it. Where, where else are we going to get yards on offense as of now? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> someone's got to someone's got to get yards. Uh, it might not be a ton of yards, but he's right now our only bona fide weapon offensively. He's our bell cow. He's our bell cow. Right now he is. Until until Bruce tips off. Then we have a new bell cow. With, Mr. Mayween. With with McCall Mayween. Mayween. Who, who we're very excited to see. Uh this this uh, this spring and winter on the hardwood, uh, but moving moving on here to the defensive side of the ball, I thought two players that stood out to me were Elijah Sullivan and Wyatt Hubert. Uh, I thought both uh, played really well, and even on the same play, uh, both flashed on the same play as as um, as Sullivan got into uh, Nick Fitzgerald's face, uh, forced a, a rush throw, which uh, Wyatt Hubert was able. Uh, to intercept and, and get a setup for our only touchdown in the game on a on a uh, Skylar Thompson to Dalton Schoen touchdown pass. That's right, and the, the funny thing about that play was, and this is kind of exemplary of our performance on Saturday, is when I was watching that play live, I was pretty shocked because I thought, "Oh, Hubert got that interception! Like, it's a, was that a zone blitz? It wasn't. <laughs> Hubert just." didn't get any penetration and happened to be uh, at the line of scrimmage and caught the ball. But otherwise, and credit to him for being alert there, and otherwise he played a pretty fine game. Um, I thought A.J. Parker on the defensive side had another nice day after his uh, he played well in the first game against South Dakota, too. You know, one thing I would also like to mention, too, about the defense is – Going back to our point where we really wish they would have turned up the heat more on Nick Fitzgerald and the Mississippi State offense in terms of trying to shut down the, the running game by doing some you know different types of run blitzes and, and really taking them out of that, uh, trying to at least stop the leaky faucet in terms of the running game. I thought when K-State brought pressure and brought six, seven, eight guys, they brought eight guys on one play. Yeah, shades of Phil Bennett, maybe. Shades of Phil Bennett uh, out there on the defense. I thought they had their best success when they were, you know, saying Katie bar the door and just bringing everybody. Absolutely, and that's what that, I wanted to see more of that. Just because at that point, when you're getting beat so bad on the ground, you have to throw the caution with the passing game into the wind and say, okay, Fitzgerald, if you're going to make these throws, then God bless you. I'd love to see you try, uh, but let's bring some pressure. Let's if if that's what it takes, let's go full on. Big 12 championship against OU in 2000 and just bring seven, eight uh, every I think, snap. I think in, in that 2000, well, even 2000 regular season game against OU, I think Phil Bennett was trying to find a way to get 12 guys on the field. So <laughs> I think he was. I think, I think he was doing his best to, to find 12 to blitz. All right, Hypel, let's see yes. Let's see you try to, let's see what you do in the face of 10 men. Yeah, well, the thing is with Josh Hypel is he'd be 
just flinging it left-handed in the middle of the field, and Trent Smith would still be catching it. He but, sure would. Uh, that that's for a different time, a different place. But uh, my point is, Fitzgerald wasn't going to be making those Josh Heupel. No, throws. and th- that's the thing too is I'll, I'll take all day getting if Mississippi State's going to beat us down the field 60, 50 yard passes at uh, sixty to fifty yard passes at a time. I'll I'll live with that rather than giving up six, seven, eight yards of carry, and you know it being a a, a march to the end zone for them. It just a, a slow, methodical march. So. That was one thing I'd like to see a little bit more from Blake Siler's defense is bringing, you know, six, seven, even eight guys uh, when the when the situation calls for it. Well, and just while we're on the topic of history here, uh, the most rushing yards we've given up since Nebraska 2010. Yeah, that was a rough game. I would have thought that maybe 2015 Oklahoma in that 55 nothing game may have ran up on us a little bit more, but... Now, Taylor Martinez, uh, he, Magic. He, he still may be running uh, against that K-State defense. Uh, that that was also a, you know, a, that, that game kind of like this game. Not, It was pretty apparent that we just didn't have the horses to hang. But granted, you we know, hung with Mississippi State longer than Nebraska. We sure did. That Nebraska game got out of hand real quick. But Well, and one, one last, while we're on the topic of uh, positives we can draw, one last Silver lining, I would say, uh, from Saturday is that, you know, the performance was bad, and Delton's performance was especially bad, but if there's a silver lining that can be taken from that, it's that it appears the coaches have said, okay, Skyler wins. And so, if that's the case moving forward in a performance that bad by our offense, if that's what it took to get us to establish a quarterback then so be it. But it sounds like we have a we have our decision moving forward. Yeah, it certainly does and you know, we'll have to wait until Saturday to see how that plays out, but it certainly does look like that Skylar Thompson is going to be kind of the unquestioned number 1 uh going forward. Uh however, coach Snyder did say that uh you know, if he doesn't perform, Dalton will get his chance, but it seems like he's going to have a longer leash than uh than he had in the previous two games. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on and something that we will keep an eye on here as we progress uh, throughout the rest of the season. That'll do it here for the Mississippi State Review. We'll be back after this to look forward to UT San Antonio on the short side option. All right, we are back here on the short side option to look ahead to the UTSA game this Saturday in Manhattan, Kansas. It'll be a 3 o'clock kickoff against the Roadrunners from UTSA. Uh, The Roadrunners are off to an 0-2 start, having dropped uh, a game last week to Baylor, 37-20, and then in week one to uh, Herm Edwards. Huh. And the Arizona State Sun Devils, 49-7. The Sun Devils back in the uh, top 25 uh, under Coach Herm, you play to win the game, and and you, th- I have to give it. I have to give credit to Herm Edwards in Arizona State. Uh, Herm Edwards was kind of the laughing stock of of coaching hires in the off season, and maybe they're they, onto something. Maybe they are onto something. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Herm's a little bit got still a little got, bit more than we give him credit. Yeah, for. I still got some gas in that tank. Yeah, absolutely. But as we're as we're looking to uh, UTSA here. Uh, this is a team, quite frankly, that K-State should 
not have much trouble with. Offensively, uh, they've not been very good so far. Uh, as I've mentioned, 20 points against Baylor, uh, seven points against UTSA or against uh, Arizona State uh, for U- UTSA so far. Uh, they're led by quarterback Cordell Grundy. He is a 51% passer. A uh, little bit of a dual threat. Uh, can run a little bit. Not overly dangerous, though. Uh, on the ground, they're they're led by B.J. Daniels, who's their lead back. He had near 100 yards against Baylor, averaging over five a carry. So uh, someone to keep an eye on, obviously, with K-State's uh, you know, getting gouged on the ground against uh, Mississippi State. You know UTSA will try to exploit that too and have some luck on the ground as well. Uh, defensively, uh, Baylor uh, hammered them through the air, 403 yards passing. However, uh, Baylor, the Baylor Bears had some rub- trouble running the ball, 31 carries for only 91 yards, so under three yards a carry there. So it will be interesting to see what K-State is able to do on the ground because that's where they're going to have to make their hay in this one. Uh, ASU did whatever they want. They had 500 yards, 237 on the ground, 266 through the air. Uh, Drew, as I said, uh, this is not a game that K-State should have a whole lot of trouble with. And if you want to see K-State impose their will, this is the chance to do it. Well, not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. Uh, Is Lee Corso fast? (laughs) Yeah, the Sunshine Scooter. (laughs) Um... I think you're probably mostly right. Uh, now, I think UTSA's defense, uh, something to keep an eye on. I mean, their uh, performance against Arizona State was a nightmare. And Baylor put up 37 on them, but that was a very strong unit last year. They were led by uh, their defensive coordinator, who had a breakout season last year. He's at Alabama. He's Alabama's co-defensive coordinator now. Oh. They had a guy go really high in the draft, too. Yeah, Marcus Davenport went to That's the right. Saints. Uh, granted, he's no longer there. This is a unit that was good last year, but you know, bringing some new faces on, but uh, have a culture of playing well on defense. But through the first two games, it hasn't quite shown up yet for UTSA. No, not quite, but that DNA is in them, and, and that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause about these uh, roadrunners. But no, I. Barring that, I think that this should be a game that you would expect K State to win pretty handily. Yeah, the the betting line currently at twenty one and a half points. K State uh, is favored, of course. Twenty one and a half points is a lot for an offense that's really struggled to to get the ball in the end zone so far. I don't know where Vegas is seeing these twenty one points coming from. I, maybe three punt returns. Um, you know, for for an offense that's only scored two touchdowns, two offensive touchdowns so far in uh, in the first two games against South Dakota, Mississippi State, it it has been a unit that's as we've detailed in in I think great detail, uh, not not been really a performing unit right now. No, but but like you said, they they have a host of new faces on this defense, and unless K State's just really bad, I mean bad, 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 on offense, then they should be able to get back on their feet this week and face a, a defense and really a team that's overmatched. Um, it would make me feel a lot better if K-State goes out there on Saturday and racks up 250 yards rushing, um, especially because that's what 
uh, Baylor didn't have a lot of success doing. If, if we can go out and just impose our will on the ground, that'll... I'm not saying that would make me feel completely better about the first two weeks, but it would certainly make me feel like K-State is capable enough to put some points on the board in the Big 12. But if you see K-State go out there and struggle again running the ball, then it's time to sound the alarm bells because then it's maybe time to make some plans other than watch a bowl game come December. I think a fair amount of K-State fans had some panic after the South Dakota game. Did you? You know, not really. Me neither. I, I, I've seen enough K-State season openers to know that they're rarely a thing of beauty. And I thought this one, chalk it up to, you know, a new staff, for one. Uh, you know, kind of a new quarterback situation here with... Kind Skylar, of. Skylar Thompson's played, you know, a fair amount of football, but, you know, with a new offense, new offensive Still staff, young. Still young. Is, we do have to remember he's a redshirt sophomore. I was willing to chalk that one up. Out of character fumbles from Barnes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the offense was was not great, not to excuse their effort, but I wasn't all that concerned. You know, we fast forward the next week to Mississippi State. By all accounts, one of the top defenses in the country. Right, and especially one of the top defensive lines, which, you know, really bodes poorly for, for what we were trying to do offensively. Horrible matchup. And it was a matchup that, you know, neither of us liked really going into the season throughout the summer. But I, I agree with you. If K-State's not able to, to get something going on the ground, and I also want to see something going through the air. Quite frankly, our receivers have been pretty well MIA all season. Uh, Shone had the nice touchdown against Mississippi State off of, a, off of a turnover on a short field. Great pass, by the way. Great pass by Thompson. And an excellent catch by Jordy, too. By yes, I, I misspoke. Uh, Jordy out there uh, reeling that in. Uh, you know he how did he he rebounded quickly. He was playing on Monday night last night or two nights ago. It's remarkable. He still he can still do it all. He can He's, still do it all. Yeah. But you know I would like to see the offense show a little bit of diversity too. I obviously I want to see them have some great success running the ball, but I want them to be able to hit them on play action, be able to hit the intermediate stuff and the short stuff. I'd like to see a, a complete offensive performance from K-State, but I'd also uh, like to win the lottery as well. Right. So I, 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 would, I think that uh, it's more likely that K-State turns in um, a good performance on, on Saturday on offense than I do going out playing uh, the Powerball. But, uh, you know, you can't win the Powerball unless you buy a ticket. That's, that's a great point. Um, and like you, I'm – I'm not quite as bullish on us going out there and completely dominating UTSA in a way that would make us feel great going into conference play. I, I don't expect us to have the success that Arizona State had, for instance, putting up 49 points. I expect a performance a little closer to Baylor um, where we go out there and we look sluggish again. But... Uh, I do think that we'll have our best offensive performance of the season so far against UTSA because hopefully at this point we've gotten the kinks worked out. The early season sluggishness has worn off. Um, we're not facing one of the top defensive lines in the country this week. It's time for the rubber to meet the road because at this point the the experience and opponent excuses start to go out the door because guess what? After UTSA, it doesn't get any easier. 
Yeah, we uh, of course we we had mentioned West Virginia is next on the schedule, and they'll be coming off of essentially a bye week as their game against NC State uh, has been canceled due uh, to hurricane. So I uh, I imagine West Virginia will be be keeping a close eye on this game, seeing what K State's doing uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, but I think we both agree here. Uh, K-State needs to show something offensively, be able to run the ball uh, effectively, be able to pass the ball effectively. I want to see you know, ballot stuff out of K-State offensively this game. Uh, as we kind of transition here uh, for the defense, what, uh, what do you need to see here going into uh, you know, closing out the non-conference game and going in or the, closing out the non-conference slate and heading into the West Virginia game? Well, one thing I want to keep an eye on is – how our defensive line, especially our DNs, finish plays. Because we've had opportunities where our linemen have found themselves in the offensive backfield and had every right to have a sack, but haven't been able to wrap up and finish. And if we need to start taking advantage of that penetration, and if you can't do it against UTSA, I'm not sure who you're going to do it against. Yeah. Because... If we don't, if we don't stop Will Greer, if we can't corral him in the backfield, he will certainly make, he will certainly punish us. Yeah, he'll make us pay for sure. Will Greer right now is probably, I'd have to say, top three, top four uh, Heisman contender at this point. In case they get some next week, so definitely want to see something out of the uh, out of the defense. It sounds like they may be a little bit shorthanded this week as well. That's right. Denzel Goolsby has been spotted in a sling around campus, and that's uh, bad news for uh, for maybe the one bright spot on this K-State team so far. Uh, that is the secondary, and you, you can't be encouraged by that news. Well, and it's a veteran group, you know, with, uh, with Duke Shelley, Kendall Adams, uh, and Denzel Goolsby back there. You do return quite a bit of experience, and with Goolsby being out, it looks like for – uh, this game against UTSA, and there have been rumors that he could be out for much longer. It, uh, it It's going to have to be next man up, and that's going to be Jerrion McPherson, uh, you know, probably going to be taking his spot. You might see also Eli Walker uh, be, be getting some more run out there at the safety position, but certainly, you know, K-State doesn't have much depth on, on either side of the ball, and Anytime you have an injury to a playmaker like that, it's going to be something you're going to have to really uh, have to have some guys step up for. That's right. And so we'll, uh, we'll hope to see some of these new faces in the secondary shine on Saturday because, like we alluded to earlier, it's, it's, they don't have much time to get their bearings before they face some of the best offenses in the country. So that kind of covers what uh, what you need to know about UTSA here, uh, Dilu. What do what do you have for a prediction for this game? I think it's going to look similar to how Baylor played them. I, I I see us putting up more points. I don't think we cover the spread. I think I see a final score here somewhere in the range of thirty four to twenty. Thirty four to twenty. Thirty four to twenty. Okay. I think that was my prediction last week, except the teams were reversed. Well, you're staying consistent enough. You know? <laughs> that's right. So that, that's something to be admired. I think K-State is going to put it together on the ground this week. 
Uh, I really do think this is kind of a now or never time almost for K-State because they know they haven't played well. I, I don't want to say now or never. It's the third game of the season. But I think the urgency should definitely be ramped up, and I, and I feel that it, that it will be. I think K-State's going to play a, a very good game on Saturday. I see K-State winning by the score of 42-17. to 17. Huh. So I, I have K-State looking looking good, giving up. Uh, you know, 17 points to a UTSA team, not great. You'd probably like to see that only, you know, maybe two scores for them or, or maybe no scores. That, if they pitch a shutout, uh, that would be that would be quite That'd make me feel better. That'd make me feel a lot better. But I, I think K-State wins this game 42-17. I think Alex Barnes has a big day. I think uh, Skylar Thompson uses that, that run game to hit some plays over the middle. Uh, on play action to, to our receivers. I think Zuber and Schoen should show out well. Uh, this is a game I see K-State getting back on the right track a little bit here. Finding an identity on offense. Finding an identity on offense and, you know, getting out of this uh, getting out of this non-conference schedule finally. Uh, you know, get, if we getting out 2-1, and one, uh, if you would have asked me at uh, Halftime of that South Dakota game, I I might have taken two and ran two and one and ran with that. Absolutely, I so. hell I wouldn't. That's kind of how I saw the season going in the summer, and uh, it looks like that's where we're going to be at. But it might not be as as pretty as we might have. No, hoped. I think everybody kind of expected us to be two and one after the non-con, but everybody probably expected to feel a little easier about where the team and program are at. Um, but two games can do a lot to shift somebody's perspective. So uh, K State, uh, we both have them winning this game, uh, you know, relatively comfortably. You have them covering. I have them covering the twenty-one and a half. I have them not. Yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to come back next week and see uh, see who might have been right on this one. Are we wagering a cup of coffee on this, Chris? You know, I might be able. You you owe me a couple. I That's think. true. So I, you know, maybe maybe you'll have a chance to get back or just add another cup of Joe to. Uh, to the long list of cups of Joe for that Chris is that Chris is owed here. So uh, we'll leave it at that here, uh, and then we'll be back for our third and final segment, where we'll do our Wildcat Legend, as well as answer a few listener questions here on the Short Side Option. All right, welcome back to the Short Side Option, where we're here in our final segment, and a little segment we like to call Ask. The Icon, where listeners will pose questions to the Short Side Option podcast, and I will ask the Icon your questions. First question comes from listener Brady. Brady asks, how does this year's loss to Mississippi State, considering Stanford and Vanderbilt, affect the strategy of future non-con scheduling, knowing that Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Arizona, and Colorado are already scheduled? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I know we have a return game next week, or next week, next year, against uh, Mississippi State down at Stark Vegas. So that, uh, we're, we get to see the, the Bulldogs right back again next year. Have you, do you know what the gambling life is like down there? Do they have a bunch of casinos oh, down there? Oh, it's, it's high times. It, it's fast living down there in Stark Vegas. All right. But, uh, you know, Starkville's very similar. Actually, it's smaller than Manhattan. It's a, it's a smaller, uh, it is the definition of a college town. You know, Mississippi State is very similar to K-State in terms of land-grant, uh, ag, engineering-based schools. So Much bigger football players, though. That we saw That we saw on Saturday. But uh, to, answer, to answer Brady's question, and thank you, Brady, for the question, you know, 
the Big 12 set out some sort of a mandate, I believe, regarding that teams need to be scheduling Power 5 conference teams in their non-con. And K-State, uh, they lived up to that. It, you know, I think it's a, a stark contrast from the stark contrast, uh, pun intended there, very much so, uh, from, from what we used to do back in the you know, mid-90s on into the early 2000s where it would be, oh, uh, let's go Ball State, Northern Illinois, uh, let's see, UL Monroe doing anything this week. We'll, we'll just get the three or four best cupcakes we can find. Uh, tastiest cupcakes and get them on the schedule and and you know pad the stats and win 56 nothing and feel good about ourselves getting some backups sometimes so you know it's a changing day in terms of in terms of what is what's required really for for what k-state and the big 12 is going to do but to answer to answer brady's question uh, i think going forward you're going to see k-state always have a power five uh, opponent on on the schedule and with those games, the Missouri game obviously attracts a lot of attention with them being a former Big 8 and Big 12 rival. Uh, but going out to Colorado as well, too, That's that one's a little bit further down the line. But those are games that we're going to continue to see uh, on the schedule for Kansas State. Well, and just to follow up on Brady's question there, in one word, do you feel good or bad about K-State scheduling former Big 12 opponents? Indifferent. Mm. If this was the segment was called Ask Dilu. Well, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You you get your say. I my answer would be bad. bad. I do not like it. I think it's um borderline treason for us to be scheduling them. But we'll get that we'll get into that uh as as those games approach here in the coming seasons. Uh Brady had one follow up question, uh particularly for you, Icon, which is what player has the best hair on the team? That's a great question, Brady, and, and thank you for you know going a little bit off the radar here for a question. But I think Eric Gallon has a great looking do. He's got big old puffy afro. I think it looks pretty darn sharp. Alex Barnes for me. Alex Barnes for you. Okay. Nice fade. Nice fade. Okay. Pretty fresh. Uh, listener Cody has a question for the icon. He asks. Do you think the proposed $230 million renovations were put in place to allow K-State's next football coach to have a leg up in recruiting? Well, that's a that's a very good question. Thank you for that, Cody. I, one thing I really, when that those plans first came out, I thought it was, you know, great to have, you know, on a pamphlet, on a brochure, whatever you want to say, to recruit the next head coach. That's a good so, point. So not only you know to help whoever that next coach is in recruiting, but to make yourself a, a more attractive place for for a future coach to land. So I do think it will help. You know, we really were excited with the West Stadium Center coming in with uh, the new North End Zone, new veneer. Uh, we really thought that was going to have some impact on the recruiting. Saying now, hey, we finally have the facilities to compete with the Oklahoma States. The Arkansas, it's kind of those teams that are in the same mold of us uh, in terms of, you know, kind of where they are at in, in the pecking order. You know, obviously, K-State's going to have a tough time going out and winning a recruit against Texas or uh, Oklahoma. But those battles against a Texas Tech, a TCU, a Arkansas and Oklahoma State, those are ones that we need to be in position to win. And I felt uh, those facility enhancements would help, uh, but unfortunately, it really hasn't. Yeah, welcome home, recruits. 
we're still near the bottom of the Power Five in terms of recruiting rankings every year, but at least you guys will have some nice, uh, some nice digs. Some nice digs, and you know, I think K State can recruit better, but I think the next coach is going to have to place a a further importance on recruiting because I think that has been neglected for far too long. All right, listener Scott asks. What's best case and worst case scenario for the season now after what we know? Scott thinks that seven wins is uh, the best case scenario at this point, and four wins is the worst. Scott says, that is a punch in the gut. Did he say four wins was the worst case? Yes. Yeah, four wins would be worst case. I mean, I guess you're having us be Texas Tech, KU, maybe Iowa State. That those would be the four wins. I assume he's counting UTSA, but you know, four or five wins is not out of the question. If K State continues to struggle, especially on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to be tough to find wins in the, in the Big Twelve Conference where you where you're going to be going up week in week out against teams that can score offensively, score uh, you know in the high high forties and uh, in, into the fifties. It's going to be tough to win those games when you're only able to muster, you know, 250, 350 yards of offense, and you know those guys can fall out of bed and and uh, you know get 35 points. So, K State's going to have to really figure something out on the offensive side of the ball, in particular, in my opinion, to to get uh, to six, seven, eight wins. I I don't think that Scott's wrong with the the four win uh, threshold as. As the worst-case scenario, I do think uh, they shouldn't have any trouble getting to four wins, but that's, uh, that's kind of a sobering thought when, when you look at it. Uh, I don't think that K-State will win four games. I think they're still on pace to win seven or eight games this season. But you've stepped back I've from ste- uh, I knew you were going to come here. I knew you were going to come here. Uh, Ten wins out of the question? In, until, until I see something a little bit more... Uh, in the way of what a 10-win team should look like, I'm going to have to back off that 10-win uh, prediction at this point in time. However, K-State goes out and beats UTSA 63-0. I'm right back. Oh, there, absolutely. I'm, I'm, right, I'm right there. Absolutely. Right there. Dallas, here we come. So, so Dilu, what, what do we think here uh, for you? What's the best case? What's the worst case? And then I'll even throw in another one. What's the most likely scenario in terms of a win-loss record for K-State this year? I still – I'll start out with best case. I still think that this team could go out and win eight games this year. I mean, that's not completely out of the question. It's going to depend a lot on how K-State improves, uh, particularly like you alluded to on the offensive side of the ball. Um and I, I could see us taking care of Tech. I could see us taking care of Baylor. Kansas is obviously a given, though less so after their performance against the Chips last week. Yeah, that was that was uh, got to be encouraging for KU fans to to go on the road and and win a game since first time since the Bush administration. That's right. Wow. Yep, that's right. Wow. Um, and you know, we could. We could write this ship still. We only have two data points, and the season is still young. And it wouldn't completely shock me if this was some weird aberration where we just had one disaster game against South Dakota, one bad game against Mississippi State, and then we figured it out. Now, worst-case scenario, I agree with with 
what you said. I, I think that four games is not out of the question where we take care of business this week and maybe and, and beat KU in either Tech or Baylor and then go over the rest of the season. I, I don't I think that that's a realistic scenario that we're gonna have to confront um, possibly. But most likely, I think this team is a five or six win team. I think we go out there, we don't quite ever figure out our offense the rest of the way. Our defense continues to play average, and we scrap a couple wins together and are fighting for a bowl game against Iowa State. So if I put the... If I put a gun to your head at six and a half wins, you're taking the under. I'm taking the under. Okay. With what I know now. With yeah. what? Well, with what you know now, I don't think that's. I don't think that's overly pessimistic at all. I think that's pretty darn fair for for what we've seen so far. Do I get a bowl game? No, you don't get a bowl uh, game. I'm going. I'm going no. regular season wins. Yeah. At six and a half. Yeah, six and a half is is going to be. Is is about right where I would set the line at this point. Uh, K State has not looked good through the first two games, but I'm also a little bit encouraged by, you know, what I've seen in the Big Twelve. I have not been impressed with what I've seen in one game. Granted, from Iowa State, they looked they looked worse than K State did offensively. Now, granted, Iowa's a, a solid team. Uh, Played in Iowa City. Iowa City on the road. It's a tough game, but Kemp got hurt, and Kemp got hurt. We'll have to, you know, kind of monitor his situation and health going forward. But you know, Iowa State, they really have a. I saw that they uh, were able to get another team on the on the schedule, uh, Incarnate Word, uh, on December first. So I guess they're taking themselves out of the Big Twelve Championship game. Thanks, but no thanks, boys. We. Uh... We will not be participating in the Big 12 championship this year. We yeah. politely decline. Man, one game's into the season, and they're... I'm sure, I'm sure there's a contingency. There's game, a buyout. But, there has to be. But, uh, you know, that's the one thing, too, is they have a brutal start of schedule. Uh, I believe, that, well, this week they're at home against Oklahoma, who's looked every part of the Big 12 favorite that they were uh, crowned with at, at the beginning of the season. And I don't think that that's a game that they're going to be able to win. I don't think they're going to be able to uh, duplicate that magic that they had in Norman last year as they pulled off a huge upset uh, as Oklahoma's only regular season loss. But really, I think I believe of their first four games in the Big 12, and don't hold me to the order, but they've got Oklahoma, West Virginia, TCU, and Oklahoma State. So yep. that's going to be a a brutal uh, start of the schedule, and you know when K- when Iowa State gets off to you know having a, a cancellation, that makes it that makes six wins look really difficult to get to a bowl game. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Dilu, I'll have you kind of transition to us into our final part of uh, the short side option this week, as we examine Chris Claybon, a Wildcat legend. Well, icon Chris Claybon, number 28. He was part of some of those classic decade of dominant dominance teams. Uh, got carries in 1997, 1999, and 2000. His career stat line, uh, he rushed for 349 really hard-fought yards on 72 carries. Uh, but the most famous of his carries 
was against those Colorado Buffaloes. Where he, or no, this wasn't even a carry. This was oh, a reception. He okay, played. versatile. Where, he he was always very versatile. Well, that much is true. Um, but against Colorado, he brought in a pass from old Jonathan Beasley in the year two thousand, where he went eighty yards on a pass from Jonathan Beasley uh, on that day. And uh, he had uh, two career rushing touchdowns on the ground and zero through receiving, but a very a really nice career for Mr. Claibon. Yeah, you know, Chris Claibon, this offense could use a little Chris Claibon right now. We could use Chris Claibon. You could use that pass-catching uh, presence out of the backfield as well as you know, another guy that could get between the tackles and pick you up three, four yards. And also a great presence in the locker room. Yeah, he was always known as a guy that was kind of a glue guy for the team. And those guys, you know, you can never have too many of them. That's right. And, of course, he came from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grew up a big OU fan, actually. Mm. Um, I bet that, I bet he, well, what do you think, what do you think was going through Chris Claibon's mind in that 2000 season? Well, against... Oh, you the first against OU. I'm sure he's just. That's what I'm saying. He's just two big showdowns against his his favorite team. Right, and I and I suspect. I don't like saying this, but I suspect that when he was watching Heupel just run roughshod over us, he was saying, "Boomer." Oh, I I don't think so. I, think, I don't think I, so. I think either. I think Chris. He's wildcat he, through he, and through. He's a wildcat through and through. But but a, but another in the long line of great Tulsa Union uh, high school players for Kansas State. Who who else do we have from Union? Did was I know um, Tremaine Thompson and was was from that area. I know he was Tulsa. But I can't remember if he was Jinx or Union. I can't remember either. Uh, was were the Lockets from Union? They may have been. They may have. They may very well have been. We'll uh, we'll do some research on that and uh, answer that question for you next week. Absolutely. Well, uh, once again, uh, wanted to give uh, a quick shout out there to Chris Claybon, number twenty-eight. No doubt, a Wildcat legend. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, to review the UTSA game and start looking forward to K State's conference opener on the road in Morgantown, West Virginia, against the West Virginia Mountaineers. For the icon, Drew Lewis. We'll see you next week on the short side option. Whoa!